0: This is the BBC.
1: This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK.
2: This is the Coast and Country podcast from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country.
3: On today's Open Country you join me in the Lancashire countryside, but it's not the rolling mountains you might expect. Rather, I'm surrounded by this flat Fenland covered in a huge crop of cabbages either side of me, and the track I'm walking up heads towards something which I can only describe as kind of lunar. It's an enormous white drilling rig surrounded by blue containers, banks of soil, and the hustle and bustle of a busy engineering team. What they're interested in Lies thousands of feet
4: beneath my feet. Okay, so this is the, it's an HH220 drill rig. So this is the rig that we're using to drill the exploration wells. It could also be the same rig that would drill a conventional oil and gas well or a production well. So then this rig will drill down to maybe 14,000 feet or so. Well, I'm now within this enormous compound. I guess it's about a hectare square or so. Um,
3: surrounded by huge blue containers, and in the middle of it, this enormous white drilling rig. And alongside me is Eric Vaughan. Eric, you're the chief operating officer for the company Quadrilla that's running this operation. I mean, 14,000 feet. It's impossible to kind of visualise that. We're talking miles, aren't we?
4: Yeah, yeah, that's about two and a half miles, I guess. What are you drilling for? What we're trying to drill for right now is the and Shale. Uh, This well will probably be around 10,000 feet, 10,500 feet, and probably the bottom... Four thousand feet or so are different layers of shale that we're going through, and we're trying to find out which one of those layers are down there that have gas in them that we can extract. Now, it seems unusual to find an American oil man here in Lancashire. What brought you here in the first place?
3: What, what sort of sparked your interest in this part of the world?
4: Well, originally, I first came over here in I think 1991, and that was to do hydraulic fracturing. I went away, and I came back again for this project with with Quadrilla for shale gas and basically my expertise was in the hydraulic fracturing now you mentioned hydraulic fracturing known now as fracking Mm -hmm. Uh, and this
3: has caused some controversy in the local area which you'll be well aware of you are of course exploring at the moment Yes. yes you're not actually extracting gas let's be clear about that but you're exploring these huge shale deposits beneath our feet and in those you think you've got the opportunity to extract gas by this process of
4: fracking as it were just
3: tell us what that means in simple terms
4: the simplest way hydraulic fracturing is just pumping water into the rock and opening the the natural cracks and everything in the rock so you're opening them just a a millimeter a few millimeters wide just enough to get a few grains of sand in so that when you let the water pressure back off and the crack tries to close it can't close all the way because the sand grains are hold it open and the space between those sand grains allows the gas to flow back to the wellbore and then back to surface. You say you pump water in. I mean, it must be a bit more to it than that. Water is what's doing the work, OK? You're basically using water to create pressure. In order to get the water in the ground, we put a friction reducer in with it. So the friction reducer we use is, is called polyacrylamide, which makes the water more slippery so that it's easier to push it into the ground. So you can imagine we're, we're shoving water two miles in the ground through a five-inch piece of pipe, and we're trying to push it in at, yep. at two or 3,000 gallons a minute and that makes the water slippery, it makes it go into the ground easier so we, it takes less pumpy equipment and there's less surface disturbance. Is it toxic? No, the, the, the polyacrylamide friction reducer is considered a non-hazardous material so it's also used in makeup, it's used on uh, on landfills to, for soil stabilization, uh, it's using contact lenses various other uses for it. How much gas potentially are we standing on? Well. Based on the information we have so far and the studies we've done so far, there's about 200 trillion cubic feet of gas locked up in the shale. What does that mean in real terms? What do we use a year, say, in the UK? I think the UK uses about 3, tr- 3 TCF, 3 trillion cubic feet a year, but the, the 200 trillion isn't what can actually come out of the ground. That's just how much is there originally. So we won't know how much we can get out until farther along in the exploration cycle, after you've done some of the, the, the fracks and done some testing on the wells, and that, that helps you determine how much of that gas you can get out.
3: But this 200 trillion figure that we're talking about, mm. that's just in this region around Blackpool and Lancashire itself?
4: Yes, that's that's our exploration licence around Blackpool, so that's about 1,200 square kilometres. What's it going to mean for local job opportunities? I mean, we, we did a, a study on some different scenarios, on different numbers of wells and kind of the middle range of this. We came up with about 1,700 local jobs and about 52 or 5,300 jobs nationally to support development of this area. Now, one of the features of this operation which has created headlines recently are of two earthquakes which
3: occurred uh, in the area, one on April the 1st of all days uh, and one <laughs> a little bit later in May and a subsequent report which has only just been published which does make a clear link, it seems, between the business of fracking and those quakes. How do you overcome
4: that hurdle now in terms of what it means to the local community and the concerns that it's raised. Basically from from that study, you know, which did link the, the hydraulic fracts to those two minor earthquakes, we were able to take that information so we can modify the operations that we have to reduce that risk as low as possible and also to be able to look at the, the pumping operations so we can change the size of the jobs and we can see that you know any seismic activities that that might potentially be happening before it ever gets to a size that anybody would notice. Well, Peter Turner, you're the geologist here on site
3: with Quadrilla. I mean, one thing that I'm finding absolutely staggering, Peter, are the kind of facts and figures that go along with the depths that we're talking about. I mean, this drill rig behind us is going down, what, two
2: miles or so yeah. into this Carboniferous shale. Yeah. I mean, how do you know it's here in the first place? Well, we know that uh, during the Second World War, for example, at Formby, just to the south... There was quite an important small oil field which was developed by BP. Later, in the, in the late 80s and 90s, BP and British Gas had a joint venture in this area looking for oil. They weren't looking for gas, they were looking for oil. But they drilled a well near here at Escoff Bank in 1989 and we have the records. Those records are uh, retained by the government. We have those records and we knew that they drilled a significant section of the Boland Shale and if we drilled our well here, we would find or encounter a similar kind of section. Now, you have two distinctions, Peter. Not only are you a geologist, but you're also a local boy. I am indeed. <laughs> What's your reaction
3: to the recent report that would seem to link fracking activities to
2: the earthquakes on April the 1st and in May? Well, you know, we've we made a pretty detailed analysis of, of what happened, and um, we're confident that our activities had some... Involvement in those minor earth tremors. I mean, to your credit, that's quite a bold thing to put your hand up and say, actually, yes, that could be us. Yes. I don't think it's unusual for planet Earth to have small earthquakes. The rocks here, uh, we know, are, are quite stressed. And um, we gave them a little bit too much help just to make these minor tremors. And the key thing is that um, as we go forward, we believe that we can mitigate these activities by just uh, redressing and balancing our techniques. So effectively taking your foot off the the gas a bit. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
3: But it is a, a case of sort of trial and error to some degree. Some of those people who've got concerns
2: about the water table being affected and so forth, I mean, they will be saying, well look yeah you are, learning as you go. It's an exploration project. We're not in development. We are learning as we go. We're trying to find out whether there are significant shale gas resources here, whether we could develop them. And, you know, the key thing is that part and parcel of the process is that we have to be engaged with the local community, the farmers, and uh, we need to do it together. I don't think there'll be many more significant earthquakes in the area, I'll put it that way.
3: If there are, we'll know where to come, Peter. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Eric, now, as you said at the beginning, this is an exploratory process. I mean, once this operation is finished...
4: What does the landscape look like? Once the operations are finished, once the well is either abandoned, like we decide there's not enough gas here to make it uh, commercial, or at the end of the life cycle, of the well, all this gets reclaimed. I mean, this basically goes back to exactly the way it was before. Well, in a determined
3: bid to separate the fact from fiction when it comes to the geology surrounding this very complex debate... I'm joined here on the banks of the Ribble Estuary, overlooking Blackpool. I can just see the tower on the horizon against the lovely blue sky. It's a pretty blustery day up here. Mike Stevenson, geologist with the British Geological Survey. You've been having a closer look at what's been going on here.
5: There's an awful lot of shale here, but it's not at the surface. It's way, way down below. It's almost two miles below our feet. So a really huge distance. Uh, but in fact, if, you, if it was a clear day and if we could see over there towards the east... You'd be able to see the Bolin Fells and the Pennines, and in fact, the same rock which you know we're interested in here, which is so far below our feet, actually outcrops over there in the Pennines, and it's in fact a uh, rock which is quite close to the Millstone Grit. So, if you've ever been walking in the Pennines, yeah. uh, you know, wandering around up there, what you see most of all is you see big. Lumpy sandstones, great big chunks of sandstone, yeah,
3: weathered by the by the wind and the That's rain, right, yeah. yeah. And
5: between those sandstones are are black shales, which you don't usually see because they're not hard enough to to kind of come to the surface, but they're there. But what you have over there in the Pennines basically is a big arch shape, and the crest of the arch runs north south, and uh, it, up there it's eroded, so you can see all this old rock. But where we are here in the west uh, near Blackpool, all that stuff and the Pennines has gone way, way down below the surface. You've got to imagine it's dipping down or sloping down underneath. So what we have is Younger Rock here. We're standing on Younger Rock, but way down below the surface is that Pennine rock, that millstone grit, which has the shale in it.
3: Now, you're holding in your hand a core of this famous shale. It's, um, oof, what, about three or four inches across. It's, it's cylindrical. It looks like a stack of coasters, the sort of thing you find in a gift shop. Um, and in it, I can see some inclusions, some old creatures
5: dating from when exactly? Well, these, these are about 300, 320 million years old. So this rock was probably deposited in something like a, an ancient sea. And the organic matter in the shale, which gives it this black colour, uh, is very old sort of algae and other sort of organic mush that was just floating around in the sea and that dropped down to the bottom of the seabed and got incorporated into the uh, the mud at the bottom of the sea and then got buried and compressed. And So what you're seeing here is... You know, a, a rock which is composed of sort of particles of harder material, but a lot of organic matter. And it's that organic matter, the mush, if you like, the algae and stuff, which is cooked up uh, in, in like a, a warm, almost like a kitchen way, way down below, and it, it generates this gas. And that's the shale gas that, that we're interested in. The the, the key or the, the trick is to get the gas out of much more of the volume of the shale. And that's why you have to, you frack it, you have to fracture it to get to get that gas out.
3: Now... The report's just come out suggesting yes. that there is a link between recent tremors and the operations here.
5: How concerned should we be? Um, well, one thing you've got to realise about these tremors is that they are very small. Uh, they were very small, and you know, tremors of that size are pretty common in Britain. I mean, we have them all the time, naturally. Uh, so they are quite common, and what we were able to show uh, at the British Geological Survey using our monitoring equipment was that it's very unlikely that tremors of that side could cause any damage. But a lot of people felt those tremors and uh, really this kind of fracturing operation shouldn't involve large large tremors or large earthquakes and it's a matter of managing the process.
3: But as a geologist, I mean, how would you respond to those people who are concerned that this, this very deep drilling, this puncturing of the aquifers is going to release methane gas and all these other nasties into the water table okay. and pollute our water supply? Is it
5: possible and should we be worried about it? Okay. The thing is, you're not actually Puncturing or fracturing an aquifer in this case. What you've got to know is that the shale here is almost two miles below the surface. The aquifers, where we're going to get our water from, where we get water from, are much, much shallower. And so you're not really talking about the same rock. You're talking about a rock which has almost a, a mile of stuff above it before you reach the aquifers. And, you know, as long as you look after the well properly, if you manage the well properly and you build a proper casing around the well, which is uh, the sort of seal which you put around the edge of the well to stop it allowing anything in the well from getting into the aquifer. As long as you, you build a proper casing, which you know, the oil companies are pretty good at doing because they've been doing it for a century or more, then it shouldn't affect the aquifer. The oil and gas business yeah. has sunk wells through aquifers for a very long time and generally know how to protect that aquifer because it, it's in their interest to make sure it's, it's protected. They manage this business very well, generally.
3: Well, we've come just a few miles north now from Hesketh, up to Singleton, one of the early exploratory sites that uh, Quadrilla started looking at just a few months uh, ago. And I'm joined now by John Bailey. John, you're head of an action group, CROP, concerned residents of Poulton. We're standing on what looks like an enormous gravel football pitch. But as I understand it, this is where the early drilling activities began.
0: Yes, this is where, to my knowledge, where one of the very first of these drill pads was actually uh, built on the field, um some months ago. Well, at the
3: moment, we've got a contractor just working in the corner with a mini-digger. That's all the scraping and clanging you can hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in front of me, just a huge swathe of gravel. Underneath it lies a, a black, looks like a butyl liner. Um, and in the middle, just a small blue cage
0: with what looks like the cap of a wellhead in the middle of it. No sign of a huge rig... Here, John? No, that massive rig, I think, uh, was transferred to uh, Hesketh Bank yeah. near Southport yeah. uh, a very short pe- period ago. My understanding is that ultimately, this area we're looking at is one of the first of what, what could be up to 40 of these sites in this area in the next 10 years and potentially 80 of them in the next 15 years. And each of these sites is likely to have ten wellheads on it once it's been uh, successfully explored. I mean, considering the size of the well itself, it, it's an enormous area that it occupies. And, and clearly to create this,
3: they've scraped off a huge amount of the surrounding topsoil, this farmland. There's a large bank or berm running off to my left, shielding us somewhat you know, from the main road as well. But if these were dotted all over the county and all over the region you know we're talking about some considerable square miles of gravel
0: yeah well this is just just one of our concerns it really is the industrialization of the countryside uh, and in a in a really quite a concentrated area and i think one of the one of the, the other concerns is the way this has been done there's been no real thorough communication to the communities with regard to this kind of development. We
3: should be clear that here on this site, just outside Singleton, fracking itself hasn't occurred. This is just an exploratory
0: hole, but your concern would be that they're going to come back? Well, they will come back. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, You you refer to an exploratory hole. The, The test drill that took place at Wheaton actually caused, it's been proved to have caused two earth tremors, which were felt, they were only relatively minor, but they were felt quite severely in the Pultonley filed and the Thornton areas, which are some miles away. And that's a great concern, that just a test drill, which was apparently, by Quadrilla's own admission, apparently caused by an unusual geological circumstance. And there is absolutely no guarantee that such an unusual combination can't occur again. But, John,
3: in understanding your concerns as a local resident, there is the flip side. The developers say, well, look, it's going to bring in lots of jobs, thousands potentially, Mm. and, of course, energy.
0: Yes, we cannot dispute the potential positives of this. We need the energy. There are potentially trillions of cubic metres of of gas beneath us, and there are the prospects of increasing jobs. Yes, we do want the energy. Yes, we do want uh, the employment. But not at any price, not at this price... We are standing here alongside the gateway to this development in a country lane in the middle of the file countryside. You know, these roads are going to be subject to hundreds of trucks and tankers bringing water in and taking contaminated water away. There are so many ways in which this is is going to result in a negative effect on, on our countryside, one of our prime assets.
3: Well, this is a lovely place to come and get a good view over this marsh here, Eve. Just tell us exactly what we're looking at.
1: Right, well, we're looking across the River Lestery here. The River Ribble comes down there on that side, just on the other side of that embankment, and the River Douglas joins it over there. And if you go across, just on the other side there, that is St Anne's. And you can see Blackpool Tower there in the distance. It's quite a nice day, so you've got a good view of it. Well, the day's
3: definitely improved. I did spot it earlier, actually, but mm-hmm. the sun is now out and we're overlooking this lovely bit of marshland here beneath us. And I can just see now, of course, you know, the Pennines. Mm-hmm. The weather is definitely improving.
1: It has, it has. And, of course, over this side you've got the bay. And there, over there, can you see, it's the rig. Silhouetted
3: in the skyline is the rig, the quadrilla exploration rig, which okay. we had a much closer look at a little bit earlier on. And um, Eve McNamara from the Ribble Estuary Against Fracking that's Group. That's right. That silhouette over there has galvanised you and your colleagues into some concerted action.
1: It has, that's right. Um, the residents have got together and we're very concerned about um, the environmental impacts. That rigged the sit on Grade A agricultural land and it's been changed, the designation of that land has been changed to, uh, for extraction of mineral deposits. So um, that is actually sitting in a field of cabbages all It is. Around. I
3: can, I can vouch for that. I, I just saw them. Yeah. Yes,
1: very large, healthy cabbages at the moment.
3: What are your concerns?
1: Our concerns are the use of the um, water, the use of chemicals, and the heavy traffic that's going through our village at the moment.
3: Now, your concerns are largely environmental and mm. logistical. You're concerned mm-hmm. about the increased traffic on the road and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Have you stopped to consider the benefits that they would point to?
1: Yes, I have. Um, the jobs that really are associated with this kind of industry are highly technical. As we say in the village, uh, how many shell gas drillers do you know living <laughs> in banks? <laughs> in banks? But we, what we, to be fair
3: to them, they will say that they're going to train them up.
1: Yes, but w- the next three years is basically on exploratory drilling all around the 500 square miles that they have licence for in the Bowland area. Yeah. So this exploratory rig will be joined by other rigs, and that's a highly technical skill, drilling. You cannot train someone in three years. But
3: it seems that, you know, in truth, one could, one could look at the other side of the coin mm. on any project that comes along. Mm. What's really piqued your kind of fury?
1: The fact that it's um, a fossil fuel, we should be concentrating on renewables. We've been talking about renewables for quite a long time now, and it's not something new. We, we really should be concentrating on that. And I feel that this is taking the emphasis away from renewables.
3: Well, the group we represent, Eve... It goes by the title of the River Estuary. I'm looking along it now. There's this huge seawall. To my right is the marsh and all the wading birds and all the other species that enjoy it. And to my left here, this huge area of what looks like Fenland with its, its market garden crops and so forth.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: What do you think is going to be the impact on? the local agricultural economy here?
1: Well, I think um, the growers really would be concerned with the perception of um, this area having this kind of industry because um, green is very much a buzzword now and a lot of the supermarkets have green policies and... As you seen earlier, the rig is sitting in a field of cabbages, and growers would be worried that their customers would perceive that this is not a clean area anymore, and contracts could possibly be lost. It, it's a good question,
3: but is it is it realistic to think that they'd really think that these rigs were contaminating things? I mean, when you look at what's left behind, it's a mm. gravel pad with a few valves on top of it. It seems mm. it's not a big oil well gushing yeah. out liquid
1: nasty is it? No it's not but it's the chemicals that are used to get to that stage to get to uh, commercial production chemicals that are injected into the ground Mm. and of course not all of them come back up.
3: I mean looking out across the marsh here Eve it is a huge haven for wildlife Mm. both native and migratory that use it as an important stop off on their way to and from other breeding grounds and so on. How at risk is this vision in front of us from this sort of drilling activity do you really think?
1: Well, that's the thing, we don't know. Um, and is it worth taking the risk?
3: Well, back in Singleton, we've come to talk to farmer George Loftus and Joanna. Well, I say farmer, you've just kind of retired, George, haven't you? That's right, yes. But your family started farming here, what, 40, back in the 1940s, was it? 1940, my father moved here as a tenant farmer. But as farmers, obviously you have a keen interest in the landscape around you, you've grown up with it, you've helped manage it and so forth. Yeah. What's your take on this whole controversy over shale gas and fracking and... The gas is there, I think it has to be exploited.
6: All right, when they first start the drilling rigs up, they are very tall, ugly, they look very... They look like Cape Canaveral. Yeah, something out of the space race, yeah. Something out of the space race, so they do look unsightly, but they're only there for about six weeks, and then they get six or eight weeks, depending on how deep they're going and how many wells they put in. And then if you go down to Grange Road site now... All you see there is a wellhead and some blue fencing. There's going to be very little visual impact on the on the countryside. And Joanna, do you agree with that? I mean, what... I do.
3: Yeah, but we all need gas. Yeah, and it's there for the taking. It needs to be used. I would much rather
1: see what's there than a wind turbine.
3: Well, this I suppose is the is the debate, isn't it? We've got a chance for, I suppose, a natural product here, as opposed to the renewable option, which at the moment. Yeah, everyone's favouring wind farms all over the country. Mm. Um, At least this is underground, would be your argument. Yes, yeah. And it's there. And they can get at it. So have you sold all of your land off now, George? Yes, my brother David took the land as his share out of the partnership and I took the house. You would have no vested interest in in the rigs turning up on on anything that you were doing.
5: Oh,
4: no, absolutely not. Nothing to do with us, no.
3: You see, many people would, would be surprised to hear a farmer and a farming family say that this was a good idea. They'd perhaps assume and expect you to be up in arms against anything that would transform the landscape. If you look at the site when they first come on,
6: it's about five acres in total. But by the time they finished, it'll be only about an acre and a half and yeah. landscaped. We can't sit and bury our hands and say, all right, we've got shale gas there and we'll import gas. We're running short of energy and it's there. It has to be used.
3: I think what I'm hearing is some good old-fashioned practical farming pragmatism, actually. (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, yeah.